get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, thank you for joining us here on the program today. We're so glad that you're going to be with us. We're going to talk a little bit about propaganda and how to keep your sanity. Take everything with a grain of salt without your blood pressure getting high. So uh, stay tuned. We're going to talk about that. And, you know, is it World War III? We'll be back right after these messages. Warning. This show is for adults by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. If you struggle to understand politics, we explain it from an independent, libertarian point of view. With all of the irreverence it deserves, we toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, Chris Spangle, a 15-year veteran of politics and media. I am just going to be honest with you. We went so long this Saturday, we did two hours, that I'm breaking it into two extra episodes. Um... So if it sounds a little funky in the transition, that's why. But just wanted to thank everybody for listening to the program here on the show. Today joining me is Harry Price, Trisha Stewart-Mann, Von Spargler, and uh, Reinhold will also be with us. We are talking about propaganda. We're going to talk about how you can just keep your sanity as there is a lead-up to war. Uh, and then part two is basically, is it World War Three? What should we do? What are we going to do? That may be part one. I probably should do that one first, just in case the war breaks out before the weekend's over. Like Things are changing quickly, so uh, I've got a COVID episode from three weeks ago that I haven't posted because it's just not the right time now. Uh, but before we start, I want to thank all of the members of Wall Plus. They're the reason the show and the network exist, and you can get all kinds of great benefits for subscribing. Uh, things like a Wednesday show for patrons, uh, ad-free and I want to thank especially our $100 a month members, John Pasillo, Lars Nordskog, Jake Edel, Matthew Durbin, Reinhold, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle. So thanks for being with us today. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the Chris Spangle Show. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you listening to those commercials. It does help us. We really do appreciate your support. Uh, we are facing our 10th anniversary for 10 more years of the Chris Spangle show and we are libertarians join our patreon at we joinwallplus.com and uh, choose the $10 level to celebrate 10 years we really do appreciate it it's a great way to give value back to the network it supports people like gingerarchy with Trisha Stewart Mann and Loki Wall with Harry and Reinhold and Paradox and the Brian Nichols show and Remzo Martinez and off and on the run, not off the run. Sometimes, you know, Rimzo gets a little off the run. Yes. Uh, but Harry's Harry's low-key wall discussion the night of the State of the Union was really fun. So make sure you go check out that podcast and listen to that. Uh, now, is it World War Three? I think we need to be very clear-eyed about who Putin is and what Putin wants and what he's willing to do. <laughs> and a lot of times libertarians fall into the trap of blaming American foreign policy and never seem to get around to recognizing that this is a madman. <laughs> and because they feel if they <laughs> say that this is an evil madman who's bent on taking over countries and killing people, then somehow you are siding with American foreign policy, and I don't believe that. 
You have to be clear-eyed. You have to be a realist about foreign policy and where we're going. <laughs> and by the same token, you have to be open and accept that America and NATO and your, the European Union have done things that have led us to this point. I'll put a couple videos uh, in the show notes that you can go and check that out. Uh, I'm going to, I think it's Vaughn that kind of has like a little whoosh in the background. Yeah. Uh, so Vaughn, just unmute yourself when you're ready to talk. There's like a little f- fuzzy static. Um, so this week they they put sanctions on Russia, and uh, we talked a little bit. I think we talked about it on the the show. I talk a lot. I don't know what I said when, but to to give you an update, we imposed sanctions on Russia this week, and basically initiated economic warfare on the country of Russia. And I was watching the news this week about the sanctions and what was Harry fuck off. You have to be watching the video on YouTube. Um, so I'm watching the television about the sanctions. And basically what happened is they sanctioned several banks, not the largest Russian banks, but some of the, the Russian banks that apparently have bad actors. And you saw one of the investors in one of these banks was the Kentucky, uh, teachers unions, which went from like $13 million to $700,000 overnight. And of course, Twitter was blaming Moscow Mitch and Rand Paul and not Joe Biden who implemented the sanctions. So why are you blaming the two guys that probably had nothing to do with it instead of the guy that actually had something to do with it? So when you put these sanctions in and you, you take us out of the SWIFT system, um, it, it has a lot of effects. And, you know, I'm sitting here going, huh, you know, if the choice is, is economic sanctions and military action, you know, I guess I'm going to go with sanctions. And I know sanctions don't really work, and we've sanctioned uh, Iran, and they've been out of SWIFT since 2018, 2017, and they haven't really changed or done anything different. Same in North Korea, and Russia has been sanctioned because, uh, oh, by the way, you Putin apologist, he's invaded Georgia and Ukraine before and uh, has caused massive violence in Syria and Venezuela and all these other places, uh, and he's a foreign interventionist, and yet you you can't seem to dislike that foreign interventionist. Um, and it hasn't stopped him or deterred him, but maybe these sanctions will work this time. If only we do it again, it'll work. You know, so as long as we don't go to war with them. And then I'm sitting there going, well, if I'm a Russian, and I'm just like my friends that I met on the honeymoon, just like two really nice people, middle-class Russians, don't really like politics, don't really pay attention to the news, kind of know that it's all BS, but they're just trying to make a few dollars to get a better house and have some kids and travel the world a little bit. Uh, and then all of a sudden they wake up one day and their credit card doesn't work and their job isn't paying them. And they're not able to do all kinds of uh, things that they want to do. And an upward mobility stops because of, of Putin. Um, would I not then turn on the television to figure out what's going on? If I'm not an, a normally informed person, and then will I be told by Vladimir Putin that the West hates you? See, I've been telling you this. They're after us. Russians must fight. You have to join with the Kremlin because this is an act of war. And doesn't that drive Russians further into Putin's arms as opposed to 
causing regime change? Because if you don't think these sanctions weren't meant to cause regime change, you're crazy. The point was to so cripple the Russian economy, cause them to lose 30% of their savings overnight, that they all ended up... Uh, I'm getting like a weird thing, guys. So I'm going to just mute everybody and see if it's me. Um, so if you didn't think that the point of the sanctions was to cause such devastating economic consequences within the border of Russia that the oligarchs and the people overthrew Putin, you're crazy. Well, that's a bold move. Maybe that works. Maybe that happens. The oligarchs, you know, there was an oligarch killed in London this week uh, who was starting to make noise that he was unhappy. Uh, They're starting to turn up dead. You start messing with people's money, they do get violent, right? Oh, when you start messing with people's money, they get violent. Maybe they don't act the way that you think that they ought to act. Uh, So it could just be another miscalculation from the West in their handling of Putin. But the problem is there's nothing that's going to stop Vladimir Putin. As long as Vladimir Putin is president of that country, he will keep invading countries. He will keep trying to fight the West because that is who he is. He is, you, you, you like, man, watching some of the pro-Putin friends that I have, some of the alt-right people that I kind of monitor, they really sound like cops when my friend Amanda, in Amanda's story in, in the past, like, you know, she's being abused by her husband and the cops show up and they go, well, maybe we could have caught him peeping in your windows if you had shaken your boobs at him. See ya. Bye. Have fun. You know, like there's like a real blame the victim mentality uh, around Russia, Putin and some of these folks. Um, So what is, you know, so you have to just accept that the sanctions are an escalation on the Russian side and the no fly zone is being discussed. This is this is an escalation. It's not a magical umbrella that will pop over Ukraine that Russian planes will bounce off of like Stephen King's The Dome. It is American military planes, European military planes circling the country and actively engaging with Russian fighter jets when they enter the territory. How is that not an escalation that puts us in direct combat with Russia? You are going to be hearing all kinds of information over the next two weeks, three weeks about the no-fly zone. And you're going to be told that it's a magic umbrella. It is... It's war. (laughs) Like There's no way around it. So you can support it, but let's not lie about it. Let's be clear-eyed about what this is. Um, So Vladimir Putin, right before we went on, the New York Times reported uh, about Vladimir Putin... And uh, his response to the sanctions, and uh, so I'm going to read that article to you before we go to the panel here. Uh, So this comes from the New York Times. Uh, Let's see here. All right. President Vladimir Putin of Russia on Saturday stepped up his... Oh, where did my cursor go? Sorry. All right. I've got like three screens. It's a mess. I don't know where my cursor went. I'm very confused. I feel like I'm getting giving the State of the Union address right now. 
Uh, okay, come over here. All right, there we go. I thought my Mac OS, if you shake it, you know, the cursor gets big. It's not when you pee. Vla- President Vladimir Putin of Russia on Saturday upped his rhetoric by describing the Western sanctions imposed against Russia since his military invasion of Ukraine as akin to a declaration of war and warning that Ukraine might lose its statehood if leaders continued to resist his military invasion of the country. The current leadership needs, this is Putin saying this, the current leadership needs to understand that if they continue doing what they are doing, they risk the future of the of the Ukrainian statehood, he said in a meeting in Moscow. If that happens, we, he said, they will have to be blamed for that. Well, that's classic gaslighting from V. Putin over here. He loves to, uh, he, he, what did he say yesterday that was just like, hilarious uh he said something along the lines of like no we're yeah we're in russia but it's just like to be nice to people (laughs) like we're here to help them you know he constantly says the opposite loudly and forcefully and repeatedly uh and he's lying he appeared to outline his military tactics while threatening that any no-fly zone as ukrainian officials have called for in recent days would have devastating consequences said the head of this, the largest reserve of nuclear weapon owners. Warehouses with weapons and ammunition, aviation, air defense systems. It takes time to destroy air defenses. The, this work is practically done. That's why there are demands to impose a no-fly zone. The realization that of that demand would bring catastrophic results not only to Europe, but to the whole world. So basically, I've already destroyed their air defenses. That's why they want this. And if you come and help them, we will. there will be consequences. We hear calls to impose a no-fly zone over Ukraine. It is impossible to do that from Ukrainian territory. It can only be done from the territory of other states. But any moves in such direction will be seen by us as participation in an armed conflict by the country that will create threats to our servicemen. Uh, He reiterated his earlier points about the need to protect the Russian-speaking population of Ukraine, much of which has fled to Russia since the start of the war. So... Our proposals are on the table with a group of negotiators from Kiev. Hopefully they will respond positively to that. Putin's demands are give me Donbass, Luhansk, excuse me, and Crimea permanently, and <clears throat> that Ukraine must completely demilitarize. That's never going to happen. He's making insane demands that no one will agree to. And so these peace, peace talks are total BS. Uh, Although rumors have swirled through Russia in recent days of impending martial law, conscription, and closed borders because of the war, Putin stressed that Russia did not plan to impose martial law unless there was aggression against Russian territory, which he considers to be Ukraine. Uh, He also vowed that conscription would not be an issue. Only professional military servicemen take part in this operation, officers and contract soldiers. Not a single conscript takes part in it, and we don't plan to send them there. Demonstrably false. We've seen repeated use of conscripted soldiers on on uh, Twitter videos and through these various conversations. Our army will solve all tasks. I don't doubt it for a second. This is confirmed by how the operation is ongoing. Everything is being done according to plan as the general staff planned it. Doubt that's true. It's the rainy season in Ukraine <clears throat> and their trucks are getting stuck because they didn't take proper care of their equipment because there's so much corruption in the Russian military that their equipment doesn't work. And one person said, even if they launched a full scale nuclear attack, three out of a hundred of these nuclear warheads will actually ever work, will reach their destination. And they're, they're kind of failing. Uh, so 
Now, I, I uh, let's start with Harry, uh, due to seniority. The world's largest nuclear holder, mm-hmm. <laughs> this madman of aggression who's invaded multiple countries, is saying, if you continue to help them, there will be consequences for us all. Should I be panicking, or will the Russian military fall apart and, and have to retreat? Like, what's going to happen? How worried should we be that World War Three is happening? Uh, well, okay, so the thing is with the whole World War Three thing, how you know you're not already in it? How you know it's already started? How you know it didn't start like a year ago? Because the history book might, like the history books, which will be written, hopefully be written, you know, in the future, will probably say that, you know, we probably are. And the war actually started, you know, 2014. We just didn't realize it, you know, because if we're in a different, uh, uh, like, generational war tactic. Like, this is fifth, you know, because we've been in which aspect, like, a fifth generational war tactic for a long time. That's the main aspect because, like, it's not, we're in a, such a different, like, age that, you know, war isn't done by with like a lot of done by guns and tanks. Like you see, this is happening, but what's, what's really being more effective is the information war. Well, so Trisha said, "World, world, propaganda, sowing distrust, each person's side." You know. Yeah. So uh, essentially, you're you're exactly right. Like Glenn Beck used to say all the time that when the history books are written, the Tunisian fruit vendor that lit himself on fire in 2011 was the be- was the Franz Ferdinand moment. Because it lit off the Arab Spring, and that the Arab Spring would then rush across the rest of the world, mm-hmm. uh, and we've seen places like you know Trump and Britain, you know tr- Trump here and Brexit in Britain, and just you know constantly roiling through, and and that's what you always have to listen to the person who's closest to the abuser. Like it's one thing for you to say, you know, this guy is really nice to me. I don't I don't understand what you're saying. He, he can't possibly be that way because I see him differently than you. But you've never been on the other side. You've never been the person he hates. You've never been the subject of abuse because he needs you. He likes you. He treats you with respect. And he doesn't want to present that face to you. And every one of the Ukrainians that I see talking about this stuff, Harry, all say, this is World War III. You can, you can choose to admit it or not. You can choose to appease him or not. Um, you know, he is the second largest military, largest holder of nuclear weapons is Russia, Tricia. So she asked me to clarify that they have more. Not us. No, they have more nuclear weapons no. than we do. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. I don't know. We have, because, we have more uh, working nuclear weapons and ours are on floppy disks. So. <laughs> Which is, hold on. But if, it, if it's not broke, don't fix it. The other thing with it, like our nukes are in different spots. It's also not our nukes. You, you, this is also preface. We, we, uh, I try to get. We're in like two hundred some places. Yeah, I try to get us nukes, but we can't get them. They're the they're United States military's nukes, not our nukes. Um, <laughs> you two, uh, because like the you use of getting uranium to make a nuke is very very expensive, and it's at the exact same time the Soviet Union was running out of gas and building all this stuff up, and they botched Chernobyl. So like, if these are Soviet air, they really haven't like updated them in the last thirty effing years. Like, so we, you know, yes. And that's why, like, I was messing with Brian all the time about, like, you know, what is what be the maintenance cost on that many nukes? How hard and difficult it is to maintain all that? You know, like, when the expertise, the knowledge base to maintain all that. Like, because if you have the knowledge to maintain nuclear stockpile, like, is the Russian government paying you enough? Because you could probably make money doing something else. Because I'm sure Elon Musk will pay you a lot more if you know how to do, you know, anything with that. If you don't have pride for your country, you just go work for SpaceX. The heck out. Hey, Harry, but, Harry, check your microphone. I think you might be on your computer, Mike. Trisha, do you want to respond to that? 
Yeah. Um, just going back to that, I know that it says maybe on paper, but I, I have to think that we have more nuclear weapons. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's American propaganda that's telling us, to, you know, <clears throat> that Russia does. It's the uh, it's the UN. We can trust them. Nope. Yes. <laughs> But, it's also uh, Russian propaganda. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's true. Yeah. Right. That's a, that, totally. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's it also would make true. sense for both you know Russia and the U.S. to lie about that. Well, Correct. Because go, go ahead, Harry. Then Reinhold. Yeah. I'll just say like, well, all countries lie about like their numbers. Like uh, uh, Russia it's saying like, they only got five hundred casualty ca- ca- casualties. This thing is this exactly time when China talk about it only has so many different casualties when it's fighting. Or when a guy like, tells you he's six foot tall and you meet him, and he's <laughs> like five nine. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> Which sucks if you're actually six foot tall and people go like, you're not six foot. You stand up like I'm actually six foot. <laughs> what I am. It's actually kind of short, too, by the way. Reinhold? Better for judo. Oh, the, the point about Chernobyl is an interesting one to make, too, that we talk about they have nuclear bombs, but how many of them have we seen them actually use and how they function? And even if they work right, because we've seen their nuclear engineering uh, with Chernobyl, which was terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was so, it was so decrepit and they they were, and they also went through a series of bad procedures that they shouldn't have done uh, trying to get a test completed, uh, which caused that whole thing to melt down anyway, but it was just, it's just bad design. So who's to say that all these weapons actually could even fire even back in the day when they were made, let alone 30, 40, 50 years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, yeah, we have like, we have, we have confirmed tests that they have like working ones and stuff like that when they do their test, but like actually, but like even the United States military, when they uh, launched the nukes on uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, like they had, they still believed that that thing was going to hit the ground and just be a big boom. That's it. It wasn't really going to work. They had no idea. They, they free- and that was the only two they had too. I mean, you know, they right. didn't even throw in a third one because they didn't right. have one built. Right, because like the the idea, like you have to like enrich this much rated because you're not getting like finding U two three five out in the wild is freaking rare as all heck, right? So you're getting like you know, like a uh, crappy uranium, having to sit there and enrich it, and you're getting a little bit at a time, which that's expensive to even get the enrichment process to even get that freaking uranium to even make one of these things. And the, the idea, the absurdity that like you, oh, we have all we've got thousands of nuclear weapons we have. Like, really? Come on. Yeah, I guess. I, I guess you, the thing, one of the lessons I took away from COVID is that I tend to think other people are rational like me, and like people when they're presented with facts will make like correct decisions. Uh, and that governments tend to be governed by the, the the kind of the middle, not the extremes. Um, so I can't rule out that Putin will do the exact. Like I, I thought he was just putting troops, you know, seventy percent of his army on the border in order to pressure NATO to not admit Ukraine. I never expected that he would actually invade the whole country. You know, I thought he would roll in and occupy. Maybe, the, maybe he would occupy those two other areas. He would hold them and effectively take them over, like he did Crimea. Because the world didn't do anything last time. Why wouldn't they just let him take these other two areas? They're Russian speaking, anyways. Um, but instead, he like went harder than I thought. So, I, I I think people will make the mistake, and you will see a lot of analysts on cable news make the mistake that Putin's a nut job. That Putin's not sane. That Putin's losing it. Like, Putin, I definitely think there's something going on there. I don't know what it is. He's definitely a COVID freak sitting uh, far away and getting isolated. 
uh, and maybe that's clouding his judgment. But you know, that, that, this is another thing against the the people like, oh, the West caused Putin to invade argument like the guy gave a speech two days before he did it for 55 minutes talking about how ukraine belonged to him (laughs) like he's not an irrational person he told bush years ago that ukraine's not like a real country and that he you know he's he's told every president from bush on that he wants ukraine that it belongs to him like he has a plan he he's very consistent with this stuff he's acting in a rational manner to him so the use of nuclear weapons to me seems completely irrational. Like nobody would ever use a nuclear weapon. So therefore Vladimir Putin could never use a nuclear weapon. That would be crazy. The Russian military wouldn't let it happen knowing the consequences. But I have to factor in the fact that Vladimir Putin's rationality is far different from mine. And going back to the abuser situation, like, you know, I would say to Amanda, like, I don't get it. This is, I, I can't figure out this. And she's like, if you try to figure out crazy, you're going to go crazy. You just have to accept that this person's not operating on the same level of rationality, but is still intelligent and going to make moves against you that don't make sense to you. Uh, so I think we have to look look at it through that lens. But I think, Vaughn, like the the chances of nuclear weapons is not zero, but like 0.00005%. But I, I reserve the right to uh, be wrong based on that information. But I, I don't think that people should be scared that this is going to turn into a nuclear war. Yeah, I mean, the the whole thing about mutually dis- assured destruction is it's not so mutual anymore. The U.S. has a lot of anti-nuclear missile technologies they've been developing for the past 30 or 40 years, number one. But number two, you just, I mean, if the the Russians aren't even able to maintain the tires on the vehicles they're invading Ukraine with right now. And that's why they can't go off road. Then what makes us think they're maintaining all those thousands of nukes? Yeah. It's exactly also, right. It makes, yeah. right. Yeah. Or, yeah. Go ahead. Right. Robert, that those, those nukes weren't stolen during the fall of the, of the <laughs> Russian <laughs> empire back in the nineties. There was a lot of questions at the time about where those nukes were and who had them. Yeah. And we don't know who's got a lot of those. You well, know. Ukraine had some of them and then they gave them to Russia because the U S promised to protect them. Fools. If Russia tried to invade. Yeah. There was a treaty, a whole treaty. And everybody's like, why don't we just sign a treaty with Russia? And I'm like, we did. And yeah. they, just, they completely ignored it. Russia just keeps so, breaking every treaty. Do? Yeah. And then they break every treaty and they're like, Ukrainians broke Minsk. Like, <laughs> no, you did. <laughs> no, I didn't. You did. I'm rubber. You're glue. <laughs> Trisha? That is actually a pretty decent, like, Russian accent, Chris. Yeah. yeah um, I, I don't know. We, we A lot of the things that we're blaming Russia now, and I know people are probably going to think I'm some kind of Russian sympathizer, and I'm not, are things that we do times a thousand. So I just, the irony of it, I'm not saying... As you said, Chris, this doesn't justify Vladimir Putin, but it needs to be put in perspective. It needs to be put in perspective that, yes, we go and we mess with crazy people. And then just like the meme where he turns around and shoots. And then all of a sudden the crazy person ends up doing something crazy. And we're like, oh, my gosh, I did not see that coming. Wonder why he did that. And it's like just because we're not directly responsible for somebody's actions shouldn't mean that we should you know, push and poke. You don't poke the bear. And 
we should take some responsibility in the fact that we poke all over the world. And if we stopped doing that and we stopped putting sanctions because sanctions never hurt the intended person, Vladimir Putin and anybody evil, any evil oligarch is not really going to be that affected by sanctions. The people that live there will be. And it's not going to change his, his mind. So I, I think we should take, I, I disagree a little bit in the point where we just are constantly talking about how evil Russia is when there's a reason they, they got to the place that they are. Mm. All right. So let's, let's open the NATO debate uh, because the reason I wanted Trisha on is because she's the most hardcore out of our group and all this stuff. Like, you heard her last week say, no, nah, I don't think Northrop Grumman should be allowed to sell weapons to Ukraine. I'm like, ah! Ah! <laughs> I mean, I get not wanting the government to do it and have taxpayers use it, but, you know, like... Uh, they have a right to self-determination and defense, and, like, they're they're fighting for their sovereignty. They're fighting to not live under a regime that will, you know, censor them. And... and and delete their lives and and freeze their bank accounts if they disagree with the go- oh uh so the if putin invades a nato country trisha we have we have a treaty with nato uh and this is a defense pact because countries like estonia and uh Poland and some of these other countries, they don't have a military that's big enough to fight Russian aggression. The The plain fact is that Russia, we, we can talk about American foreign policy. I don't know that I agree that we are 10 times worse uh, in aggression. Um, but like, if Russia were to invade Estonia, the, the point of NATO is that an, th- there's a fighting chance. It, that that the overwhelming force of the United States and the European countries is a deterrent in the way that nuclear weapons are a deterrent to keep Putin from invading those countries. And if NATO didn't exist, he'd invade them. I have no doubt about it. It's why he invaded Ukraine and Georgia. They're not in NATO. They're not part of the European Union. And so, but he's not going into Poland. He's not going into you know the the Baltic states or some of the Balkan states that have NATO alliances. So what is the problem with having a, an alliance with these countries that is a, a deterrent for them? So I don't think it, in essence, like having an alliance like that and, you know, making it so you're avoiding war is a bad thing. The problem is how they use it. So just like the United States selling weapons, do I trust the United States selling people weapons? Um, no, it's a horrible idea because it, it never... It, their, whatever they say their intentions are, aren't their intentions. Um, and as far as NATO goes, we dangled it over Ukraine's head. Ukraine literally thought they're like, we're quoted. Oh yes, we're going to join, join NATO. You know, when the, when the civil war started there, <clears throat> I believe this 2014, but um, so I just think even one thing I did like that Donald Trump said, which maybe he shouldn't have said out loud, but there's a lot of things he said out loud he shouldn't have said. Always had like that. a tenuous <laughs> grasp of facts. Yes. And so like he's like Alex Jones. Like if you go and look at where he got that piece of information, maybe it might be right. Like Trump said a lot of things that were true, but very he said it very poorly. So when he said he might not even, you know, put 
go to war if somebody did invade a NATO country. Now, he probably shouldn't have said that out loud, but honestly, it's right thing. It's the right thinking. NATO needs to die in our lifetime, I think. But doesn't that invite more countries to be invaded and more kids to be killed and more nu- nuclear power plants to be bombed and orphanages to be blown up? No, because um, that happens on our watch times quite a bit more. It would just be a different person doing it instead of the United States. So, Anybody else want to I mean, jump in? Go ahead, Vaughn. I was going to say, I think Chris has got a one good po- one point that we do need to pay attention to is that the U.S. is involved in a lot of stuff we shouldn't be involved in as well. And if you look at the propaganda that Putin is using, the word choices he's using, the way he's talking about the invasion of Ukraine, Ukraine he's using a lot of the same um, words and talking about it in the same way that we often as the U.S., and I don't know why I'm saying we, but how the U.S. often talks about their invasions or they're helping various groups in different areas. Because Putin, on Russian TV, it is illegal right now to refer to this as a war. It's not a war. It's a military action. He is intervening to save the Ukrainians from the Nazis, according to his propaganda, which sounds a lot like the reasons that the U.S., said they were going to go into various places like Afghanistan or Iraq. And so even though, yes, Russia, Putin is evil, Putin is doing very bad things, but because the U.S. has done similar things in the past, it gives him cover and it makes it easier for him to justify that. It. That video that I told you about that Lou Rockwell's website posted was literally just a greatest hits of American atrocities. And where do you get the moral authority to tell us that we can't do the same thing? The logic yeah. is ridiculous because... If you're a, a you're this YouTuber saying all oh, these bad things that the Americans did to all these other countries are very bad, so that justifies us doing the exact same things. Like it's very <laughs> stupid logic. It's not coming from yeah. a place like of principle where peace is the the greatest principle. It's you did bad things, so I can do bad things. We get to hurt and we get to hurt people and break things too because you do it, and you know it doesn't matter how. Of a, of a greater magnitude, we do it towards civilians because you killed 15 people in a wedding in Yemen. We get to kill 5,000 people in in a day in Ukraine. Like, it's it's the logic doesn't make sense when you see these yeah. people. But that's the that's the importance of reigning in American foreign policy so that you no longer lose your moral authority, Harry. You aren't yeah. the country that created Gitmo. You aren't the country. How do you... And this is what John Mearsheimer, a video that I'll put in the uh, the thing, said. He's like, y- y- "How do you, after the Bush Doctrine, claim moral authority? Like how how? And we see it now. Like how does Canada and Australia get to lecture Putin and the world about freedom? Like how? I I just I don't think a lot of Western citizens take their government seriously when they're talking about their commitment to freedom and protecting life." When our governments engage in a lot of the same behaviors, be it be it at a smaller magnitude or a greater magnitude, it doesn't really matter. You've opened yourself up to that criticism, Harry. Right. Yeah. We just like these a lot of the police departments in the United States have lost a lot of the moral high grounds and fought really and have to fight really hard to get some of that back. The, the United States has to do the exact same thing. Uh, you can't tell people they can't do things when you've done the same thing. It's it, you lose. Yeah, you're right. You lost that part of the table and they you put that chink in your armor so people are able to throw that thing back at you or like you're the, doing the exact same thing right now somewhere else. Yeah. The importance yeah, of the liberal. Listening. The So just to break it down, because 
the the poles are basically authoritarian capitalism in China and Russia and uh, other smaller states and Western liberal states, democratic Western democratic liberalism, capitalism, like and liberalism at its core demands that you respect rights. And so the thinking of the Bush doctrine was if we go to uh, these countries in the Middle East and give them democratic liberal capitalism, then they won't fight with each other as much. They won't fight with us as much because the theory is that liberal states don't engage in conflict with each other as nearly as often as like authoritarian states do. Uh, so the 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 flaw in that is that how do you go and try to introduce a theory of government based around human rights and respecting the individual while doing things in those countries, Reinhold, that then diminish the, your authority as saying that you're a respecter of human rights. Oh, it, it makes us look hypocritical, but the way to deal with that is not to ignore the plight of others when they're in trouble and need help. It's to next time we get into this situation, we stop doing it. We, we, check ourselves we learn from that but just like if you had a neighbor um who was getting harassed by uh, someone down the street or someone across the across the in another neighborhood or something like that getting harassed and try to you know get them to give them their property and they finally just say heck with it we're going to move into this property we're going to take it over we're going to put you in some place and lock you up to the neighbor would you not defend that neighbor from that action right whether or not you've had any moral high ground to do that or not, you still want to help your neighbor. And that's really what NATO is supposed to be. Now, the problem with NATO is that it turned out to be a way for the United States to exert influence over Europe by being the, the provider of their defense. Instead of requiring everybody in NATO to defend each other, it turned into a United States defending everybody. Yep. Uh, and that's why our military spending is so high, which really – makes our United States arms manufacturers really happy. Um, but it does put us in that power situation that we have a little bit of addiction to. We want that power. We want to be the ones calling the shots. And yeah. at some point you have to say, Europe has to kind of take care of itself. We need to help them. But right now the solution isn't United States going in, and doing a no-fly zone, it might be Eastern Europe getting together or NATO, uh, you know, EU countries getting together and doing that. Um, what do you do to stop the aggression of Russia into this point? Whether, you know, yeah. all, all the other session kind of goes out of the window at that point, you have to find a solution. And then yeah. we need to learn from this one. So we need to, we need to take a, a really hard look at this once it's over which I don't think it's going to turn into World War III. I think it's going to be a resolution. I think people are going to come together and push back the aggression. But we need to learn from that. But uh, we can't be Va the ones doing that all the time either. Vaughn, then Harry, then Trisha. Okay. I mean, I think, honestly, if Putin could make this World War III, he would. I mean, he's aggressive. He wants to take all of Eastern Europe. He wants to remake the Russian Empire from before the Soviet Union, but the reason I don't think it's going to get to that level, at least kinetically, is because he just doesn't have the manpower and he doesn't have the equipment and he doesn't have the finances. 
Also doesn't have the su- world support either, because even his yeah. allies are turning on him right now. Yeah, I mean, right. Lushenko in, in Belarus came out and said that he was not going to send his soldiers in. Like, the sanctions effectively yeah. scared Belarus out of being his only ally in this. Yeah. I mean, China's basically doing the whole, you went to a party with a group of friends, and then one of your friends starts a fight, and you're like, I don't know him. <laughs> yeah, Harry, go yeah, ahead. The, 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 yeah, if Russia really, like, because, like, China's being very careful on how they support Russia, and because... They, they allow, like, on Weibo and stuff like that, the Chinese people are talking about how they like Putin and stuff like that. They got that military support. But just like China, um, Russia has the same problem of, like, the, the shrinking population issue. So if you lose, uh, like, active male soldiers, you're, there's not many. There's not thousands more that you can replace them for. And just like China, they're getting to the point where they are, don't have many men or, like, soldiers that actually have actual combat experience. So they're losing a lot of that. So their actual combat troops are getting spread out. And if you lose too many in this little skirmish, World War III is kind of hard to do when you've got a, you know, you just don't have many people who have com- actual combat experience who have been in the two-way uh, rifle range. The, uh, but the other thing with the no fly zone, the no fly zone makes no sense. It'd be different if the, because it's just <laughs> about Russia, the no fly zone would kind of make sense if Ukraine also had air, had jets and they're out there shooting each other and they were crashing, bombing into cities, killing people. Like, okay. You guys just jets are hurting innocent civilians that are around this thing. How about you put the jets down? Okay. That would kind of make sense, but it's just, no, no. It's well, the other, well, the other thing is just they all have to have the ability to defend themselves. And you have disarmed and messed with your entire populace for so long. It's like this is almost, you know, and you're in this position anyways for because you've weakened your own populace. You know, like because yeah. Ukraine is not this bastion of liberty or anything on the thing. I think on the world economic like what freedom something this thing was in the deep one hundreds like worse than Russia in the types of freedom in Ukraine. Well, they, so it's I mean, not even like. They've they've switched back and forth. Yeah, the like the guy that Zelensky took over for was a Putin puppet. But didn't didn't uh you say Reinhold at one point that they had libertarianism in one of the parties that what was that about? Uh, Zelensky Yeah, Linsky announced that he was going to form when he got elected that his his party was going to form as a libertarian party. Really? And that lasted about six months. Right, of course. Because there was Shock. concern that a lot of people in the outside outside the cities would even know what libertarianism is. So it became more of a it became more of a combination of center socialist um, ideology, but it's still a little hint of libertarianism in there. They they want to have that in there, but it's not prevalent state now. Sure. And there's some political changeover that's kind of changed that now. But there was a period of time, about six months, where they were touting that they were going to be a libertarian mm-hmm. party. So. Oh, yeah. Trisha? Yeah, I honestly don't think World War Three is likely. You know, you go through these times where you're scared and, and you worry about and you think about China. And honestly, I mean, that would that's something to worry about. But it doesn't make a lot of rational and logical sense. But then I keep going back to something my friend Chris says. <laughs> that other people don't act rationally and logically. Um, <laughs> so I, I suppose it's a possibility, but right now I don't think it's looking like that. So I, I think a lot of this doesn't make a lot of sense to me on the part of Russia, which either means they just got in too deep and had too much hubris or that they know something we don't. Um, I don't know which I, one is more. I, I, I'm go- I'm it's the hubris. <laughs> it's the hubris. Cause we do the same thing. We think that we have the ability 
to manipulate a disease in a lab and that it won't escape. We believe that we have, as human beings, the ability to fight that virus when it then escapes. We have the ability to start a war on drugs and end drug use. We ha- we the ironclad principle of government is that yes everybody cares and wants to do something we need to do more and then when they do it collective action fails because central planning fails because it centralizes decision making under a group of experts who aren't able to see all the different things that are needed it's the 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 pricing system it's the market system that negotiates all of these different signals from around the world and peace acts much the same way and the more you try to decentralize decision making around joe biden macron the german government like the german government what what you guys need to know about the german government is how deeply embedded putin and his decisions were in this like the uh gerhard schroeder I don't know if I said that correctly. He was the German chancellor before Angela Merkel. That guy's on the board of a Russian oil company now. And Angela Merkel is the one that blocked uh, all kinds of different sanctions. Like, Germany is incredibly up to their eyeballs in need of Russian oil and natural gas to survive. Because Gerhard Schroeder and Angela Merkel continually killed nuclear power, like the French use nuclear power, and they're not as dependent on the Russians. And so, is Schroeder just like a puppet of Putin, who's in charge of a Western liberal democracy that's keeping spending for NATO artificially low? Well, uh, I got this article uh, that that I want to kind of expand on, but it was basically talking about how this is their 9-11 in Europe. That you know that Osama bin Laden is out there, you have the coal bombings, you have things that kind of give, you know, there's always the dissenters like the John Mearsheims or the Gary, not Mearsheim, Kasparov, Gary Kasparov, the chess guy. Uh, his book, Winter is Coming, is really interesting from uh, from the Putin is evil, you need to stop him perspective. Uh, really well written uh so anytime you see kasparov like he has a he, he was basically this chess champion famous in russia joined the opposition navalny uh anna in our comments who is from macedonia in the balkans said watch navalny's uh youtube channel he joined the opposition he's a guy who has met putin fought against putin been very um you know clear-eyed on who this guy is and what he's doing uh, and, and I would say that like liberal leaning journalists and Western journalists fleeing Russia in the last three days is not a sign that the protests are going to work. Uh, that they'd be staying to help <laughs> if that, that there was a chance. You've got to listen to the people closest to this stuff. Um, but Kasparov has basically been saying hard power is all that Putin understands. Hard power is force. It's violence. It's war. Soft power is economic influences and sanctions. It's what we prefer to do because we don't like seeing our our boys come back in body bags. Putin doesn't care about that. Vladimir Putin does not care how he looks to the West. He's like Donald Trump in the press. The worse you hate me, the better I look to the people that love me. And that is who Vladimir Putin is in NATO. Vladimir Putin is watching the United Nations pass a resolution condemning him with an overwhelming percentage while he is beating his dick 
It makes him hard. He loves it. He does not care about the UN poo-pooing him and wagging their finger at him. He understands hard power. And because of that, the West miscalculated who this guy is, tried to bring him into the fold. This is Kasparov's argument, and I think it's a fairly good one. We, we have thought that we could bring in Vladimir Putin and the Chinese and give them all kinds of, uh, you know, get them hooked on, you know, the World Trade Organization and capitalism. And if we enrich these countries, then they'll want to endear themselves to liberal capitalism. And it was a mistake because Z and Putin understand hard power. They are the same thinking as the little dictator in North Korea, Kim Jong-un. Like, he only understands hard power. And you 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 basically fed the beast. Now the beast is big, and the beast is biting you. It's like Siegfried and Roy Vaughn. That's the lesson. You feed the tiger. You pet the tiger. It loves me, and then it bites your face off one day. And that's kind of how Vladimir Putin is. We need to understand that, that like this guy just understands hard power, and we have to. I, I'm all in favor of us, like canceling him right like in some ways like private corporations saying we're no longer going to do business with russia is a good thing you're muted go ahead Bonnie. all right i'm unmuted sorry my dog just started barking too so okay. i was having problems but um the one thing i'm the one hesitancy i have about private corporations going after russia is as long as they're going after putin and his stooges i'm, I'm okay with that but I'm really starting to get sque um, squeamish about how I'm seeing people ban things just because they're Russian. Or right, right. the freedom fries effect. Yeah, like some college in, I believe it was Italy, canceled a class on Dostoevsky, <laughs> which has absolutely <laughs> nothing to do with the war. And it reminds me of what the U.S. did to the Japanese in World War II, and I don't like that direction. Because I've known a lot of Russian people, and they are wonderful people. And why are we punishing them for something some crazy guy does in a country that they used to live in or their grandparents used to live in? That doesn't make any sense. And all that's doing is helping feed the propaganda machine of Putin. It's giving him more ammunition because now he can show Westerners saying, oh, we're going to ban this and we're going to ban this. We hate Russia, blah, 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 blah. And that just helps him. We, we need to stop giving him the propaganda. Uh, let, let me go, go ahead, Harry, and then I'm going to pivot I'm, to something else. I, I'm just going to say, like, Vaughn hates American tradition. It's yeah. our tradition to do this, okay? I right. told you he's the pastor of disaster. <laughs> we eventually, we are going to get to round up white people and put them in camps. It's good. And how dare you stop this, okay? <laughs> uh, no, no, I, I would say that, you know, being clear eyed about Putin and that he's not going to stop and that we, we've got to deal with him in some way. Do we have to do you and I personally have to deal with him? Does America have to deal with him? Does Europe have to deal with him? Who has to do what about a situation where you have a madman dictator who's hell bent on taking over other over other countries? And this is going to be the question of we need to do more over the next few weeks. If he is in, if he is actually going to just start massively bombing uh, cities and he's just kind of preparing for the second wave of this uh 
What, 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 what do we do? What does the world do? Who needs to do what? How do we handle it? Let's start with uh, Trisha, the hardcore over here, and uh, get her opinion first. Um, we as the United States or us as private citizens? Let's go with both. Okay. Uh, so the United States needs to not do anything for once in its life. But there's it children is. being killed. Well, I mean, if I, I'm not a fan of like using taxpayer funds to send aid, but humanitarian aid, I wouldn't say is the worst thing that a country could do. Um, private citizens, I know that there's some gun drives for Ukrainians, um, which I think is kind of cool. The government could stay out of the way of that. That would be something it could do or not do. Um, but we need to not do anything and then step back. And 10 years from now, we're going to look back and think that was the best thing we ever did. It's just really hard to not do something. But what happens if he goes and kills Moldovans next? Okay. Um, I hope he doesn't. <laughs> but once we insert ourselves into that situation, it's going to make it worse. You know, it, just because I don't like that whole idea of something evil is happening somewhere, so it's my fault if I don't do something. Um, it, it, that's kind of that that's this dangerous road and it's a dangerous path, especially when you're the United States of America, because over and over when we do something, worse things happen. Harry, why is she a paid Putin asset? Why does she work for Russia? Well, uh, as we know that uh, Trish is leaving the wall network next month to go join that Russian oil board. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this has been my plan the whole time. <laughs> All right. Putin's known to be a big fan of this show, by the way. Yeah, yeah, big fan, big yeah. fan. He sent me uh, a starter pack. I've got my mug up here with with uh, Pootie Poot. Get to, uh, yeah, anyway, I think sorry. Trisha Trisha makes a good point. Is that we want to do something? It feels right. like the right thing to do to help to do something to send soldiers mm -hmm. over there. Uh, but the, can skirmishes like this everywhere? There's tons of different people that we can help. Like, if you really want to help something, I don't know, just start selling statehood to uh, South American countries if you want to really want to do something. You know, there's stuff, there's bad things that are happening below, like the United States' border and inside its own border. If you, if there's something you want to do, you want to help some lives, cool. Decriminalize, you know, start decriminalizing things, remove some laws off the books. You can save a lot of people's lives, you know, here, here in our own borders. Now that may say like, oh, you're just an isolation and xenophobic. Like, no, like that cop, that there, yes, there's armed convict ha conflict happening over there in your also mouth. In another, there's armed conflict it, happening with that tongue. There's also like <laughs> coming in Africa. There's stuff happening there, you know, there's stuff in like the Southeast, like Southeast Asian countries. If you really want to do something, you can help help police African water from China from over uh, overfishing inside of there. And the Belt and Road Initiative is uh, incorrectly like destroys other uh, nations around Africa in the Middle East. Yeah, where does it stop? And Vaughn, I think the reason that we care about it is because Zelensky's on TV and and like to be honest it's a western christian nation with white faces uh the ukrainians have a lot of contacts here we know you know like it, we care about it more than yemen because it's right in front of our face it's right in front of uh, it's on our screens and and we're being made to feel that it is uh important and you're muted okay yeah i was just waiting um i do think there is something we can do but the problem is we're looking at the wrong solutions. Like everyone's saying, we got to do something. And they're thinking the only solution is militarily. We got to invade. Well, that's not what we got to do. But there is some things that I think we as the U.S., we as U.S. citizens should be pressuring our government to do. 
open up the borders. Let the Ukrainians come over. Let them move here. Let them either just stay here until the fighting's over or even move here permanently. Let them contribute to our economy. One thing that's blowing my mind as I'm watching this coverage is how much of the tech sector is either based in or has offices in the Ukraine. There are a lot of tech There's so many servers over there. It's a big rigged (laughs) election. That's how it was rigged. It was Ukraine. (laughs) But we need to let them come over. We need to open up the borders. I mean, you know, one of the funniest talking points to me right now is the conservatives saying things like, oh, Biden's letting everyone in. He's letting all the illegals in. Biden isn't letting any more in than Trump did. If anything, immigration is happening less right now than it was during even Trump's time. So let the people come, let them in. I mean, one of the greatest sins of the U.S. during before the buildup to World War II, during that buildup, was we weren't letting the Jews in. We yeah. were closing our borders to them, and now we're doing the same thing with the Ukrainians. And you, per- I mean, you have something personal yeah. attachment with that. So at the end of last week's show, I told you about the the five Ukrainian orphans that my family hosted uh, my in-laws last year, last summer and Christmas. They went back January 15th, you know, with all the troops on the border. But, you know, my in-laws were kind of like, what do you think? I was like, I just can't imagine them being in Odessa and being in danger. Um, <laughs> oh, me. So it, 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 it's been a mad scramble for two weeks, a week, to figure out how, how to get them to safety, right? Like, there's realistically not a ton we can do. Um, but here's kind of where it stands. The kids left two days ago to, they left Odessa, about 90 orphans left their orphanages, orphanage, uh, to leave and to go to Lviv first and to go to, uh, Poland next. We just finally heard from them for the first time in uh, a long while. They're in Poland. They have a bed. They're in a shelter of some kind. They're safe. That was the first concern. The second concern is how do we get them here? Uh, if they're if if they claim refugee status in Poland, that that will never happen because of the laws of Poland because they're wards of the state of Ukraine, and so the minister of social something or other of Ukraine has legal guardianship over them, and if they just sign them over as refugees to Poland, they'll be ingested into the Polish orphanage system, and Poland will only allow you to adopt blood relatives. Well, we're not blood, but we have a vested interest in bringing them here to America for the duration of the war until it's safe to go back. Hopefully there's something to go back to. Um, I am pessimistic about that being the case, uh, but it's been a race against the clock because, you know, Lushenko's on TV four days ago showing the push towards Odessa. It's the major port city. Uh, they need to take the part of why he wanted to take Crimea eight years ago is because of ports. So he he has launched an offensive offensive from the south and spread it towards Odessa because he wants to take those the the two ports that are in Odessa. And uh, there's like probably before the weekend's up or early next week, there will be massive shelling in Odessa. So it was important to get them out and trying to get them to safety, the orphanage, you know, fortunately they're not in the Northeast. Um, we've got some contacts in Ukraine. We've got some contacts here. 
you know, families that wanted to adopt kids from northeastern Ukraine can't they can't get in touch with them anymore. Don't know what happens, probably safe, but no communications exist in some of those north northeastern parts and they've just kind of like you can't leave, you're stuck. So once the offensive on Odessa takes place, they wouldn't be going anywhere. So they're in Poland. Well, uh, I I want to thank Senator Todd Young's office uh, for being incredibly helpful and responsive. Uh, I've been trying to reach several congressmen's office, you know, Congressman Trey Hollingsworth's office. Uh, we contacted them, and nothing came out of that. Um, you know, they said go to a website and fill this out. We can set up a meeting for visa renewals in September. To which my mother-in-law was like, they'll be dead by then. What are you talking about? Like, well, this is just how it is. So go to H-T-T-P, click. <laughs> like, you're no help. Uh, so now we're talking to immigration lawyers. Um, our goal is to bring them here. I will be coming to the audience asking them to help us fundraise because it's not just these orphans for our family there's about 300 orphans that we, we you know that we have in this network of people that want to come here um you know and and to like bring the humanity to it when the oldest was told kind of what was going on he was like can i bring my best friend you know imagine being him and like you're you know you're going to a place that's safer you have opportunity and and comfort and a family but you're leaving your best friend behind, you know? I mean, it, it just, it's uh, very sad. And, uh, you know, talking to a missionary in Lviv, he's like, we're safe for now, but you have to understand there's 300,000 people that have come into the city. The numbers you're seeing are the people who have crossed borders into Romania, Moldova, Poland, Russia. These numbers don't reflect the amount of people that are in country still moving in a country of 41 million people. So there, the, the refugee crisis is insane. Uh, but you know, I, I, I've been really impressed with the Polish and the way that they've dealt with these refugees. And I was completely unaware of what has been going on on the Belarusian and, uh, Polish border. Basically, a war between the two countries because what happened with Belarus is he Lushenko basically rigged an election to be put in power. It was a Western leaning country. Lushenko took over uh, Lukashenko, excuse me. And now he's in charge, very Russian aligned. And in order to piss off the all right, you guys still there? Just blink. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we, yeah, we're here. So, in order to tick off the the uh, EU, he's basically used refugees as a weapon, literally, and he has been giving travel visas to people in Kurdistan and Iraq and Syria since he took over in on travel visas. Come, like travel agents are in, from Belarus are in these areas going, come travel to. Belarus, see it, it's beautiful this time of year. And then they are using the military to funnel them to the Polish border. And then, like, 
using the military to force them to cross the border with guns like standing across them and there's uh there's like massive battles taking place between the polish border guard and these kurd iraqi kurds trying to get into the country and then they try to turn back and go back into belarus and they've got guns pointed at them on that side too and they're all muslims or and they're kurds and they're middle easterners right they're not white christian ukrainians so there is a video uh, called how russia's ukraine invasion began with belarus that i'll put in that is frankly it's just very shocking to see what the polish government and what the belarusian government are doing uh and it really displays that double standard in a significant way and for the youtube viewers i'll kind of flash it up here it's by vice uh but it's sort of scary to watch the be the beginning of you know the the video here because lukashenko is basically talking about how if war breaks out it's going to be a nuclear war and having the hindsight of this to kind of go back and look at it and, and watch these two argue is pretty shocking um but, you know, it's tear gas, it's people being pushed up against fences and guns being pointed. It's, it's a real humanitarian crisis. And this is of our making. This is of the making of Russia, America, Assad, uh, the invasion of Iraq. And we should be opening our borders to these people, to the Ukrainians, to the Afghanis, to syrians to kurds and we should be bringing people in to these to to live in america and so you don't get the right to invade other countries create refugees and then say you're not welcome here that's insane it's immoral and uh you know so i don't just want so so basically the the senator's office said their visas may stand unless biden acts because even if that, even if uh, he put a bill on the floor, they probably could not. And South America, good point. Our drug wars have have caused all those refugees to come here. So even if a bill is put on the floor, Democrats and Republicans may not agree that letting Ukrainian orphans in is a good idea. So Joe Biden has to act and allow asylum in the way that he did for Afghans for uh our five to come in and so pressure needs to be put on joe biden to make that happen to allow refugees in it has to be done by executive order it can't be done by legislative uh decree anymore so while we're at it let's let these folks in too so i applaud the polish but uh oh i guess on the video you guys can't hear me at all uh so anyways so i guess Correct. all the you guys could hear the video okay so sorry to youtube but you heard great content from me if you're on the podcast so uh anyways vaughn's right let them all in open the borders let refugees in uh especially the orphans please yeah yeah, I wasn't def definitely wasn't trying to say we should only let Ukrainians and we should be letting all the refugees in. Yeah, I it didn't think be, you were. I just think that was a great opportunity to kind of show people what's was, going on here. It was. Yeah. And it's going to benefit us economically. 
Um, I'm blanking on the name, but the guy, oh, I just forgot his name. He made a great little uh, graphic novel about that, about how immigration is a net benefit to the U.S. He ben Garrison. Every single... His name is Ben no, Garrison. Not... No, it was not Ben Garrison. <laughs> I cannot think of the guy's name. Oh, it's going to drive me nuts. Wonderful, wonderful graphic novel he just put out about Odie that. wrote a great article back when the wall reader was about that, how it's actually, and just went step by step, like yeah. how monetarily it benefits the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is a pretty big name libertarian guy. I just can't think of his name. I'm blanking. I'll remember it after the show's H- over. Harry. <laughs> well, uh, personally, we should only get the Ukrainians that are over six foot tall, hit a jump shot or, um, you know, help out, you know, USA's volleyball team. You know, that's only, you know, that's the only ones we should get. I don't know. We don't need them here. Um, I think we should build a wall, keep them out. Um, <laughs> well, this feels good. I, I know, right? You know so what? Doesn't it feel you know, great to hate foreigners again instead of each other? We have a total oh, shortage of volleyball players. I mean, there's plenty of people to work fast food. Exactly. We 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 have that. We need you know tall volleyball players. We need people who, if you can't hit a jump shot and you're tall, man, get on that volleyball court. Okay, all right. That's what we need. Okay, all right. I don't need these short Ukrainians here that can't do anything for us, you know. Unless they play baseball, we need baseball players right now. Our baseball league is going down, you know. If they can play baseball and get out there, you know. What? What? I'm not the only one that's, you know, we're going to miss opening day because some millionaires can't get, can, can't agree to hit with a ball billionaires. Yeah. Oh, sorry, billionaires, right? Billionaires, billionaires yeah. and millionaires fighting over more money. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Final thoughts on is this World War Three? Yes or no, Harry? I don't know. It, it, it could be World War Three. Could also be Civil War at the exact same time and exact same spot you're in because of like the way like you know new wars are having to start. You know the cyber warfare and um, the, uh, the the simple aspect of like the propaganda fifth generational war. Please, like, we no longer call it cyber warfare here. We call it cybering. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not calling it that. <laughs> I'm not calling it that. We're not. You're not calling. I barely want to call it cyber warfare. Do people okay, cyber? Do people cyber anymore? That's such a not like late '90s term. <laughs> um, they kind of do. There's tons of different things for it. Like you can get on Meta. They even make some toys for that to help relive the experience. There's a lot of VR stuff, so you actually can touch stuff in VR. See, there wouldn't be war if we were all in the metaverse. That's all I'm saying. Leave <laughs> no, reality. We just have meta- we would just have meta-based war. Uh, one of the key topics we're going to talk about that actually in on a low-key wall episode coming up about like when war is turned into a game. You know what happens? Mm. What happens to the? You know what happens when war is a game? Um, so, but I, I don't know. I, I, I doubt that we won't. I, I think people will just use World War Three because it's a good buzz. Like title, it gets people to read things, gets people to watch things. It's great for SEO. So it, when you see Spangle use it, it's no, it's great for SEO. Sorry, it's good, good, good clicky, you know. But Harry Cybering.com is available. Uh, I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that. I do own Cyberloafing.ninja that I do own. Um, Cybering Lofa. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think it'll be later called War Three or just a war or something like that. I, I, you know, it'll be called that for buzzy things later on. But I think you know it's. But it'll, how can I put this? It's it's going to be interesting to even watch it break down. I think it will. It can escalate to type of World War Three or something like that. That type of level. If you don't give Putin an an exit strategy, an exit ramp, where does he get off? And when he does stop this, 
what, what does he get any in his back? And if people are like, no, he can't get any in his back. You kind of have to. It's going to keep marching forward. I'm sorry. Like, it's not appeasement. It's just if you stop here, we'll put everything back. Just stop. Just stop. He's got to have a way to retreat. If you don't give him retreat, you put him on death ground. And once he's on death ground, they're going to fight till they die. Yeah. Vaughn, World War Three or nah? I mean, as Harry made the point earlier in the podcast, it depends on how you define war. I mean, there are many ways in which we have been involved in a war with Russia for many years. There was the Cold War before the 90s, and now we have all of this, the cyber cyber warfare going on there's a lot of stuff going on there's propaganda there's hacking i mean you could even argue some people have that a lot of the uh a lot of the um what's that where where they encrypt your stuff and then they won't let you have it back unless you pay them money a lot of that's coming out of russia yeah that's it thank you harry i forgot the word we could even argue that's a part of russian warfare i don't think we're going to see a kinetic world war like we had in world war ii not because if he could, Putin wouldn't do it, but rather because I just don't think he has the ability. Today, Russia is not Germany from before World War II. Um, they don't have the capability, I don't believe, to create that war machine like Germany was able to. And that's probably the only thing that's saving us from a kinetic World War III situation. Uh, Joe here. Joe was one of my best friends in high school. Still a great friend. Uh, you know, joined the military. I know for a fact, he, he says it's called sexting now. I know for a fact Joe did some <laughs> aggressive cybering back in his day. <laughs> Trisha, World War Three or no? Uh, I'm going to lean towards no. Um, everybody pretty much laid out some good reasons. I know we all kind of think, oh, but what if, you know, China gets involved? And that's not even that likely. Um but, you know, I, I could be wrong. What I do worry about is if there's, you know, people send boots in the ground, you know, especially the United States, but even some of the European countries that will, you know, they're going to try to put in a new, you know, overthrow an election or put in a new leader. And then I think something like that might actually lead to a larger scale like world war. So, you know, overthrowing governments and putting in, you know, new regimes is always, always, always a bad idea. So, yes, please just let Putin go home and be crazy there. Now, for my perspective, will there be a world war? Um, this is the Citadel today with soldiers in a line that spells out UKR. <laughs> so, yeah. Hell yeah, there's going to be... No, I don't know. I don't think that there's going to be a a world war. I don't think it will be like um, World War II. I, I just... Warfare is so different now that it's not... With as many soldiers, it is a lot more asymmetrical. I do think that we will provide more Stinger missiles, more Javelin missiles. Those have been very effective. They've The Javelins, out of 300 Javelins that they had, they've... they. Uh, 285 of them worked and taking down tanks and planes and other things. Uh, I definitely think that the United States government is going to end up supplying them with light weaponry like that, maybe even harder weaponry. Putin will definitely take that as an escalation. I just think it's inevitable that there's going to be uh, skirmishes between American soldiers and European soldiers in some way versus Russian soldiers. I just don't think that the public will allow the images that we might see in the coming weeks to not go without some sort of heavier response. Uh, 
Now, does that lead to a full-scale world war where you in uh, Omaha or San Luis Obispo are, are under attack? I don't think so at all. I think you're absolutely safe. You don't need to build a, a, a bunker. Um, now, the pessimist in me says, how did we bring out, how did we bring down Soviet Russia? An arms race. We forced them to do military spending when they had a bloated deficit. Uh, guess what? <laughs> what if China is using Putin to, to do that same thing to us? So we have to start spending and spending and spending. This is Europe's problem. Europe has been anemic in carrying their load of the NATO budget. They have outsourced their security to us. And they need to take care of this. This is on them. So when the we need to do more crowd pops up, it's it's Europe, it's the European Union's problem. And uh, I think Russia is very weak based on what we've seen. And I think it's very unlikely that we're going to see fighting outside of Ukraine. Um, Joe, again, former military man, says... We will not join a war unless China goes after Taiwan. Over 80% of our semiconductors are made there. Ukraine offers no economic benefit to join a fight other than a symbolic one. Symbols are pretty powerful, but I tend to agree with that. Um, I think it, it, the American government is great at looking like they're doing something to satisf satisfy the question of we need to do more, what are we doing? And they will propagandize it to make it look that they're being effective, at the, that they're helping people when they're doing a limited amount. Look at the sanctions. Sanctions are not all that effective. Um, Dan says, and China will be watching how the rest of the world reacted and ready itself for the case. So I, I think that the, the Chinese are not going to act. I don't think they're ready. They're not ready to... to to rise totally they're very kind of weak in certain ways and so i don't think china gets in on this china can't afford joe says uh, to arm their troops fully war would ultimately benefit them and culling the bloat of the population and the reality is trying to get soldiers onto taiwan is incredibly difficult so you see how hard it is for for putin in two weeks to get soldiers into ukraine they would have to put them on boats and hope that the Americans and the Japanese and the South Koreans don't bomb those boats. Go ahead, Harry. The other thing is Taiwan ain't Ukraine because China is asshole. China has been fucking with everyone around them and they're fucking with people who actually have military standing. India, reason why like India had kind of sustained and messing with Russia because India buys a lot of weaponry from Russia because China fucks with India. If China does something like that and the world people are only doing that, India will start, will just in, will invade China as well. And Japan said, once China moves on Taiwan, they move on Beijing. It's just... Taiwan ain't Ukraine. The, the people actually care. Like, there's people who actually, like, I don't want to say, there's different nation states who have so much at stake at losing Taiwan or just giving China openness to like the open seas and the open ocean. Yeah. Jacob says China isn't playing the military game right now. So I agree. I think I think a lot of that is overbloated nonsense to try and prepare the people of America for action if we if we wanted to do something about it. 
Right. And China has lost tons of money with this whole uh, property value scheme that they have going on in their country right now. And they have also lost a lot of face internally because one of the things that the Communist Party, the CCP, had kept talking about is that they do not meddle in other people's affairs and they cannot be seen internally meddling with the affair of Russia going over Ukraine or something happening out there. And they lost a lot of different face because they actually had their Chinese embassy said like, hey, if you're in China, if you're Chinese inside of Ukraine, you put up your Chinese flags, the Russian army will leave you alone not the skakes they're telling them to take their chinese flags down and try to you know not be, appear to be at, you know chi- uh, like from the chinese government it's- if i keep letting him go he's gonna keep going guys he's he's that all sounds a lot like world war three what harry just said. yeah uh listen i think it's unlikely but what the I was super, super sad the other day, <laughs> and Reagan's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I shouldn't know history. I should never have... I wish I had been born a dumb person. I wish I didn't ha- hadn't read, you know, the lead-up, or listened to... Da- I wish I had not majored in World War II documentaries with a minor in Dan Carlin's World War I history podcast, because... You see these bureaucrats and diplomats and military men sleepwalking their way right into a major conflict, and all it really does take is for there to be an international incident and one side or the other to blow it out of proportion. I think uh, I think that the the um, the chance is there. It's a low chance that this it turns into a long term, full scale global conflict where you have evenly matched militaries. Uh, but I don't, I, I do think that there's going to be a war in Ukraine for possibly years between Russia and guerrillas basically in Ukraine being armed, just like Syria. I mean, we've seen it too many times in Syria and other places to, you know, to, to not understand what, what's happening here. Like the American military will be sending, you know, uh, trainers, ten thousand trainers. Uh, before you know it, they'll they'll be sending observers, all that kind of stuff. I do think that there's a chance that you know Article Five of NATO is invoked at some point within the next few months, if Russia doesn't completely collapse as a military in the next few weeks. There's no diplomatic solution here. It's it's about Russia deciding they're not going to do this anymore. Uh, I just don't. I think you have you. You have lived with Donald Trump long enough to understand the psychology of Vladimir Putin. Donald Trump will never admit that he lost the election. It doesn't matter how many Republican paid for surveys and audits that they do. It nothing will change his mind that he won that that he lost that election. Like there is no amount of information and there are people who are zombie like who will never be convinced that he lost that election. Um, and so Putin is exactly the same. He, he wants Ukraine by any means necessary and it's going to kind of, it's going to be a real problem. So, uh, it, it, you just have to decide how much you want your tax dollars being invested, how much of your moral capital you want invested, uh, and just keep your head on a swivel and make sure that you're not being, um, tricked into supporting something that ultimately hurts people. But it's a very tough problem, guys. It's it's watching horrible images and knowing you can send javelin missiles to help, right? Uh, but does that then lead to something else? 
Because, well, well, then we need to send planes to do the no-fly zone. And then, well, this isn't working, so we need to send boots on the ground. Well, this isn't working, so we need to do X, Y, and Z. We need to bomb Russian territory. So, like, where's your line? Where's your red line for supporting and and intervening in this Ukrainian conflict? So, you're going to be pushed to, to choose a side very heavily. And you just have to draw your line in the sand. Yeah an infrastructure for fuel for planes by flower. There is a, a real tightening. Like this is 70% of the world's wheat that comes out of Ukraine and Russia. And so buy some flour and uh, freeze it for a day. Take it out of the last year for months. Start prepping Trisha. Trisha has like 300 gallons of gas <laughs> and she lives in an apartment. I do think it, it's smart to prep right now, though. If you think about everything you just said, and on top of the fact that we just got off of a pandemic, and actually most of the economic hurt didn't particularly come from, you know, the actual or virus, but from government shutdowns. So we're like, people are hurting really bad. Then, you know, you the cost of fuel is going to go even higher. Then you're talking about flour. That does scare me a little bit because that's generally how, you know, you, you're a student of history. That's how wars begin. People in the reason that the Nazis were able to take power is because the middle class had been middle class and got robbed of everything and were so angry about it. And, and time and time again in history, when the middle class becomes poor, poor people are used to being poor. The rich are going to stay rich. It's the middle class that when they lose something turns to uh, radical authoritarians, usually, that are going to help give them safety. So, all right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us here on The Chris Spangle Show. Please go join 10 for 10. If you got something out of this, please share with friends. We appreciate you, and we will talk to you soon.